Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Glams, it's just me. This week, Sarah was traveling with L'Oreal Paris to Paris Fashion Week, living the life with Sir John and getting her makeup done and just having a little Paris moment. This is something that the Glams have been asking for, especially since I talked about it a few Tuesday episodes ago. So I was experiencing perioral dermatitis. I had it, I, I don't know, maybe over a month. It would not go away. It wasn't all the way around my mouth but it was a section right below my mouth on my chin area towards the corner and Dr. Samulitis decided to put me on an oral antibiotic and it's completely cleared for now. I'm gonna finish the antibiotic and then once it ends, we'll see if it comes back because there's a chance it could come back and you're gonna learn why in this episode. If you are currently experiencing perioral dermatitis, maybe you've had it in the past, Maybe you just want to be prepared in the event that you do get it because I'm going to be honest, women ages 25 to 45 tend to deal with PD a lot more now than ever. So chances are you may experience it at some point. I consulted two experts that I use a ton as sources for my stories because they are so informative and they give these excellent morsels of information that are really easy to understand, which is very important to me. The first is Dr. Banhusali. He is a board certified dermatologist. The other is Krupa Coastline, a cosmetic chemist. Dr. Banhusali is a board certified derm. He's based in New York City. He was accepted into medical school at 17. Okay, <laughs> this very, very smart man. He has built numerous digital health companies. While he was in residency, he launched Health Digital, a company Forbes said could revolutionize healthcare innovation. He also built Hair Stem Labs, which we should have him on to talk all about hair loss because this man is like the guy. He's known as the king of formulation. He is behind Road Skincare, okay? So if you have tried those products and you love them, he's a big reason why. And he's just a delight. Next up, we have Krupa Coastline. She's the chief formulator and owner of KKT Consultants. She has a background in biology, biochemistry, and biotechnology. And she also practices Ayurveda, and she kind of merges those things to create innovation in the beauty space. So she started her career at Estee Lauder and Neutrogena, and Krupa is a wealth of information. I quite literally could not do my job without her. She has explained so many things to me in terms of cosmetic chemistry. I obviously do not have a background in that. And she's really helped me to understand things about how a product actually works to how certain products are actually tested. A total gem. You're going to hear from both her and Dr. Banhusali all about perioral dermatitis. I hope that this episode is helpful for anybody who's listening. And if you're going through perioral dermatitis, I'm right there with you. I understand what a struggle it can be. You're going to get through it.
All right, Dr. B. So perioral dermatitis. We were literally just offlining about the fact that like Haley Bieber kind of did a lot for the perioral dermatitis community because she talked about it and then it was on GMA and Today Show and all that stuff. So for anybody that may be wondering, what is perioral dermatitis exactly? Sure. So it is one of those things. I see it. I think perioral derm and hair loss are the two most frustrating things that walk into the office pretty much daily. Essentially, it's an inflammatory rash, generally in the perioral, which around the mouth area. And it usually presents these little red bumps. Some people, you know, it could be a little bit itchy, but for the most part, it's kind of asymptomatic and it kind of waxes and wanes. There could be different triggers for it, but there's a lot of kind of mystery around perioral dermatitis and there's a lot of different causes for it. And so people often mistreat it. They're not sure what it is. They think it's acne. There's a lot of different things that occur with it. So it's just one of those things we're trying to educate a bit better. Honestly, it's very, very, very common. Yeah. And it's not acne. That's something that when I was looking into it, a lot of people, especially like the patient, they may think it's acne, but it's not. And that was kind of my situation. I thought they were little like whiteheads in the corner of my mouth. Would that have been because it was the rash, but then it was also dry? So maybe it was like dead skin? Exactly. Wow. That's why you should never pick. (laughs) (laughs) Please, please. (laughs) Uh, I always joke whenever my patients pick at their acne somewhere, I get little jolts of like pain and I'm like, <laughs> like a voodoo doll. Just pretend I'm like one of those voodoo dolls. Like, yeah, you're like, you're hurting me, like, please. No, but so, you know, perioral dermis, it's more closely related to rosacea, right? I always uh, joke rosacea is like acne's uh, more frustrating cousin. The difference between acne and rosacea on a macro level is acne is more your oil. Whereas rosacea, it's an inflammatory condition as well. And some people believe perioral derm is a variant of. And it's more trigger-based, right? So rosaceous, spicy foods, caffeine, alcohol, all the, all the good things in life, uh, like chocolate. Whereas perioral derm can be a little bit more broad. You can have certain makeup combinations can trigger it. Toothpaste has been associated with it. Some dental work and fillings. And even chewing gum supposedly has been affiliated with it, which I think to me is a bit crazy, but you never know. I mean, a lot of things can trigger it. And so the idea is like identifying A, what it is exactly, and then B, how to treat it. Because to your point, when things get dry, sometimes people think it's just a normal rash, they'll put steroids on it. And steroids actually worsen perioral dermatitis. Specifically, there's a steroid-induced version of it and it actually can perpetuate the condition even longer. Okay, so basically you're reading my mind because I have my notebook here with all of my questions and I say, not acne, steroids. And then you just, you went right in and hit it. So online, which... I do like to Google to see what people are Googling when they have a skin issue and what pops up. And one thing that it says is self-care steps and medications can be the key to helping eliminate perioral dermatitis. So you are a doctor, you're a professional, you can prescribe medications. Do you think that perioral dermatitis is self-treatable? Depends. I think there's certain ingredients you can use you know, with perioral derm, that can be helpful and beneficial. Do I think completely treat it? Usually no. You need something a little bit stronger. But ingredients like azelaic acid or niacinamide, those are kind of perioral derm friendly ingredients. I mean, there's a percentage of people who might be allergic to each of those. But generally, those are ingredients we like to use in creating a a skincare routine for patients that that tend to have perioral dermatitis. And, you know, as I mentioned, a lot of times people just jump to steroids because even putting a steroid, a little bit of steroid on an acne bump can help. But um, with perioral derm, again, it, it actually can worsen the the entire picture and, and you can wake up the next morning 10 times worse than you were previously. So should we avoid cortisone cream? 
I would, yes. I would definitely do that. I mean, there's some topical antibiotics that are helpful. You know, I don't know with antibiotics, people are a bit hesitant. And we as doctors tend to be hesitant as well. We don't want to always jump the gun, especially with, you know, resistance and things like that that can occur. But, you know, often it actually can help. And so, you know, with this, again, I tend to have my patients more proceed with caution. We actually go through their routine and regimen too, because again, introducing a new product that they didn't realize two months ago, it may not have caused any issues up front, but it can take time for you to develop that inflammatory reaction. So it's not always just apply something the next day you have a rash. It's It can build over time. You know, what's so crazy is like, I can actually pinpoint what product. I mean, I don't know 100%, Dr. B, but I think that there was a new product that came out that I was so excited to try. It worked and it looked great on my skin. But then right after that, I started getting the dermatitis, like right in this corner of my mouth. And it's such a bummer because I almost want to try it again, <laughs> like to see if that's the culprit. But then I don't want to be back in a place because like for the most part, the antibiotics that I'm taking, Dr. Samuelitis prescribed me doxycycline. It's pretty much gone. So I'm just staying the course of the antibiotics until I'm done, but I don't want to risk it again. So it's like such a hard thing, like you said, because it's like hard to pinpoint. It's hard to figure out what. Of course, but I I think the reasonable way I would approach it is this. I would finish the course antibiotics, get a good before picture, and then use it again and see how you do. Because a lot of this stuff is a bit for also educating yourself on what is good moving forward. And then I would actually look at the ingredients and see if there's something in there that might be a kind of a universal issue across other products you've tried in the past, right? Because the biggest thing with a lot of this is self-educating yourself too, right? And understanding. It's kind of like sunscreens. I always tell people, or even moisturizers, I have people try a few different ones. I mean, there's better moisturizers and better sunscreens than others in terms of the science behind them and ingredient profile, but everybody's skin type's a bit different. So you have to kind of experiment a little bit, get the one that you like, and then you can just use it for as long as you need to. I mean, you don't need to change your sunscreen every day or every week, but same thing with makeup and primers and things like that. There might be certain things and it's better to nip it in the bud, know exactly what you kind of your do not you know touch list and then move forward that way. So I've never had perioral dermatitis before. As far as I know, like the thing that was so crazy to me was like this particular patch because it wasn't all the way around my mouth. And like that's why some people were like, I don't think you have it because of course I went to Instagram stories and I was posting like, does anybody know what this could be? And of course, Dr. Samuelitis was like, girl, why aren't you texting me? I'm the one that takes care of your skin. And obviously she knows what she's talking about, but I was kind of like, does anybody know what this is? Like, this looks like acne to me. It's presenting as acne, but it just will not go away. People were like, well, I don't think it's perioral because it's not all the way around the like oral area. So if somebody is experiencing like little patches here and there, but in that general mouth area, would you say it's more than likely perioral dermatitis or like you just need to talk to your dermatologist about it? I mean, I always vouch for seeing the derm because we're super friendly and we can help a lot more than people realize. But, you know, more often than not, it usually is. And there's no perfect textbook definition of how exactly much you should have or how what distribution. Uh, like rosacea tends to be in this central area and like maybe around here. You rarely see rosacea on the forehead. Can happen? Probably. And then you have ethnic skin, like people like me. I actually have rosacea. Nobody can tell because I don't get the red marks like most people would. But I get, if I'm traveling, which I unfortunately have to do a lot for work, if I'm not in my bed for more than a couple of days, I might get a little flare here and there. I might get different things. So we all present a little bit different based on a variety of factors. So, you know, I like to generalize a few things, try stuff and then go from there. But no, I think your intuition is correct. I mean, at the end of the day, it's one of those kind of commonly misdiagnosed or not diagnosed conditions. And once people understand what they have, how they do and proceed that certain way, usually it doesn't become an issue moving forward. 
listeners, Glamjulie knows it might sound like I'm beating a dead horse here, but like these are all questions that people have online as well as like that you guys have sent in. So I just want to make sure I get to them. So, okay, we don't know if it's fungal or bacterial though, right? Like it could be either. No, I mean it's it's inflammatory. I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest it because fungal a lot of times it's something called seborrheic dermatitis. Sebderm is a yeast fungal condition. It tends to be much more scaly and it tends to be more in the crevices, like right around here, also on the eyebrows, and you can have it in other parts of your body as well. But septum is a little bit more scale dominant, if you will. Whereas periderm, again, you see these more like kind of monomorphic, like kind of similar looking little red bumps, or sometimes they're flesh colored too. And so the bacterial side is more potential bacterial association. I mean, I don't think it's a strong anything. A lot of times these, these antibacterials have a lot of anti-inflammatory effects as well based on the formulation. So they, that's why they help as well. So, you know, we like to look at ingredients on the prescription side, like a sulfur wash, like sulfacetamide washes are great. There's topical ivermectin. I know the whole oral ivermectin with COVID thing was crazy, but the topical one actually does work really well. Topical metronidazole, which is fantastic. And then as I mentioned, as a like acid, we like a lot. We have a platform called Skin Medicinals. We like to compound things if the pricing gets out of hand. But you know, our job is to get the right ingredients for patients, whatever way we need to. But usually how it works with our patients, again, much like you, I mean, you can do oral antibiotics, get it really quickly under control. If it becomes more of a persistent one, if it's a little more moderate to severe as opposed to very mild, then we usually put them on some topicals and it's pretty simple. We give them a wash and a, a topical. Again, a lot of times we do a compound and then they just do the normal routine and they don't worry about it. And it's a little bit different than most, at least this is kind of off-label how I do it with my patients. I usually have them get back to baseline and then I have them use the topical, you know, a couple times a week as needed. If they know they're going to be like, let's say out at events and things like that, and there might be a more inflammatory marker, or inflammatory stimuli like alcohol and stuff. I might have them use it every day leading up to it to kind of keep things in check. And for me personally, if I know I'm traveling, I'll start it two, three days before I get on the road, use it while I'm traveling and everything is usually nipped in the bud. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I have my little list of notes here. It's not contagious. That's another question that's been popping up. Is it contagious? Can I give it to, you know, my partner if I'm kissing them or whatever? No, not contagious. You mentioned the ingredients that you like to use when it comes to kind of nipping it in the bud. What are some things that we should look out for? I was looking at the AAD website and one thing they mentioned was like women ages 25 to 45 tend to be the ones to get perioral dermatitis. And it can be a result of like using a steroid or also if you use like different face creams. And I was just like laughing to myself because I'm like, do you know how many face creams I test out in a year? Like, I'm shocked I haven't experienced this prior. So do you suggest fragrance-free? Do you suggest looking for products without certain ingredients to your patients? So generally speaking, I like the minimalist approach to ingredients as a whole. I think we as a society love to put in flashy ingredients because everybody thinks that they all can help, but you don't need 50 ingredients to make a really good product. I mean, at the end of the day, simplicity kind of wins. And especially when you have sensitive skin, I mean, I can mention for Road, we thought about sensitive skin first and foremost when we were formulating it because, you know, obviously Haley has shared her perioral dermatitis, sensitive skin. I have very sensitive skin. So, you know, less is more sometimes with a lot of that stuff. I think with certain ingredients, certainly that can do it. And a lot of the more legacy brands had a lot more ingredients and richer creams and things like that. It's now more a little bit lighter touch, I think, everything, which is nice. But look, at the end of the day, this, this is the most frustratingly annoying thing I recommend and my patients tell me, but it works. I just ha hold yourself accountable, right? So if you're having a rash or whatever it is, take a selfie, make a list of everything you've used over the last couple of days, right? And then I always say two-week rule. 
stop everything fresh for two weeks, start reintroducing products two weeks at a time. So if it's a new moisturizer, two weeks, nothing else. A vitamin C, two weeks, nothing else. But let your skin kind of develop some sort of tolerance to it and then see if there's still an issue. Because if you have 80 billion things you're using or you go on a Sephora sale or Ulta sale, whatever it is, and buy everything, you break out, you don't really know what's causing it. And so it's sometimes frustratingly slow to kind of rebuild your routine or build it up. But that's how you know how you're doing it. Almost every dermatologist does it that way. That's why we never really have breakouts or bad skin because we kind of know how to do it. It's like working your way up in the gym. Like, you're not going to go for the max first. You're going to you know, start working your muscle strength up and build it. And so the same with skincare. You don't need to necessarily jump, you know, too far, too fast. It's going to build it because this is all a marathon, right? There's no skincare and green on earth that's going to get you better tomorrow. But you want to build something that's sustainable. Even with our patients, I have a rule like we build over time. I'll get your skin exactly where you want it to be. But we're going to build this thing together. We're going to take pictures together. We're going to watch this together. Like we are going to really get this because once we get to the quote unquote set it and forget it stage, then off to the races. Like I'm going to let you fly. You're going to pop in once a year to check in, but there's nothing else for us to do. Like we're going to get you there, but I just need a little bit of time to do so. Oh, that's sad. It's like you work so hard with them like for a long amount of time and then they get to a good spot and then you're like, just check in. It's like empty nests. Sad. Honestly, it is. It gets kind of lonely, but that's the fun thing about social media. We're very fortunate in our office. We've gotten a bit busier than than expected. You know, but my favorite, when I, we always call them the family check-ins. They come in, they renew the medications. I ask them how their family is, little ones are, everything. We just, you know, check in in life. It's, it's a quick hug. And then they're out and then I see them on social or wherever it is afterwards. But those are the best because that means they're in a really good place. My role with anything, whether it's skincare, aesthetics, whatever it is, if something bothers you, you fix it. But if you're in a place where it doesn't even come to your mind, like just don't change it. Don't rock the boat. Like we get you to that place and live your life. And there's a lot of other things to worry about out there. So, you know, your skincare routine shouldn't be one of them or your skin. So that's the end goal with a lot of this stuff. I love it. I love it. Okay. So I think that kind of answers a lot of the questions that I had just like top level. I'm actually curious though, like I think some people may see that they have this rash and they will mistake it for acne. Is getting a treatment, like going and getting a facial or going and getting like a laser treatment, are those things that you're like, absolutely do not do those when you have perioral dermatitis? Okay. So I actually got a facial for the first time in a while last week, and it was actually awesome. I really liked it. But my role with facials are this. They're great at exfoliating dead skin, kind of cleansing the system, kind of cleansing the palate, right? When it comes to extractions, I mean, there's not many dermatologists that love people going and getting extractions and not because it's a facialist's fault, but like even for us, like we might do little, I mean, you see them on Instagram, we do, we put a little kind of hole in a point and, and, and extract through comedones and things like that, a comedone extractor. But generally speaking, I mean, it's not the best because you're causing micro trauma and that's how you get scars. And so I think facials are fantastic for, you know, if you want to tighten your skin temporarily and do a little like, you know, whatever microcurrent or just get a nice little cleanse before you kind of re redeveloping your skincare routine. But I think when it comes to extractions, I would avoid, especially with perioral derm, you also do tend to have more sensitive skin. So you have to take it a little bit lighter. Lasers we sometimes do, but it's not really like I like a laser genesis just to, and I think Dr. Sam also has one, but it's it's a great treatment to kind of keep the skin glowy and helps with oil production. So for true acne, it can be really helpful because it decreases your oil production. But for perioral derm, I'd rather treat it first. And my running rule is this. If anybody's throwing an expensive procedure that's not covered by insurance at you before anything medical, then they're just trying to take your money. So it's like be a good doctor first. All the other stuff is icing on the cake, but you need to do right by the patient and right by kind of your duty before jumping to anything more extreme. You know, what's so funny is like laser genesis. That was the treatment that Kendall Jenner's dermatologist was like pretty vocal about the fact that she was doing laser genesis to help with her acne. She's like, I'd never heard of laser genesis before that. 
It's one of my favorite things on earth. You know, we're lucky to have a lot of celebrity patients, things like that. And a lot of times for red carpets, for events, for weddings, it's just a really good kind of clean treatment where it's not as intense as like a Fraxel or Halo or CO2, obviously, and the downtime's not nearly the same, but it just primes your skin. Everything just looks better. I don't know how else to describe it. It's just kind of a glowy, nicer, like clean, like it just helps in the oil production, helps with all these different things, redness. And so, you know, I always tell patients, like I always break down, not that not that we're talking about lasers, but, you know, there's bigger lasers like CO2 where you do them every five years, let's say. For Fraxel or Halo, like once a year is good and just kind of keeps your skin. A Genesis every like three, four months just to keep everything good and tight. Like they all have their own different roles. And for acne, a lot of times acne is an issue and a patient, again, one of our, let's say a model or celebrity that needs to be on a red carpet. I just start working in once a month just to get everything in place. And it just makes everything look better. And then, you know, again, with perioral derm, a little bit different. So I usually avoid them I mean, initially, but then kind of as icing on the cake, once you have the perioral, you know, under control and your skin's a little bit more red and kind of like, you know, just recovering, that, then it's not a bad idea to just put one in there just in case you have a, a deadline coming and somebody needs to get their skin back to where they want it to be. The best practices are built on your relationship with your patients, not about money or any of that nonsense. So you know, for us, like I have a duty to do right by my patients. So I keep tabs on everything. I read all the literature. I look at the science. I ask the questions. But, you know, jumping into a new technology, like you have to do it at the right pace. Do you have a favorite neuromodulator? Honestly, it depends. I'm very person to person. So, you know, there's like Botox, obviously tried and true, and it works really well. But some people just don't do as well with Botox as they would with Dysport, let's say. And some people last longer with Dysport. There's, you know, there's this controversy that Dysport spreads more. And I think Galderm always said that's not the case according to studies, but literally every dermatologist is like, no, no, it, it definitely spreads more. The way I look at it, it's, it's an advantage, right? If somebody has a larger surface area of forehead, you want it to diffuse more. So those patients actually move towards Dysport. If it's a much smaller forehead or a very, you know, specific area I'm trying to treat, then I like Botox, you know, obviously again, tried and true. And, you know, we'll see what the new ones are like. Some of them, the other ones are underwhelmed by, but I just want my patients to be happy. Again, it's like, I guess the check-ins, the check-ins are the best. They come in, we know what works. And again, a lot of times our patients have such like, I mean, we live in a crazy world where there's so many eyes on them at all times. So you just want to make sure you minimize any chance of them feeling uncomfortable at anything or self-conscious. And you have to operate with that mindset always. Is there a treatment or something that you're using in your practice that gets you really excited that you're loving the results from, or you feel like your patients are really benefiting from? I mean, I love my hair transplants. So that's a different, whole different world. But no, I, I mean, look, I, I love to mix and match. So I'm kind of like the king of combo stuff. That's everybody kind of, like, I love to mix and match different things. They're same day, like this and that. I think there's a, a shift now. People are moving less and less about chasing results as opposed to now a more preventative mindset. Like it's wellness, right? Like instead of me going to get Botox because I have wrinkles forming, people are now, like they're putting in three times a year and getting these injections to maintain my aesthetic, my look, my whatever. Same with lasers. Before people would come in for lasers for brown spots or wrinkles. Now they're like, hey, I want to book a yearly laser, let's say every October or September to undo sun damage and to really get my skin prepped so I continue to have my skin look as well as it does now, as does years from now. And I think a lot of preventative like steps, I mean, our patients are, a lot of our patients are known for not aging ever, but it's not because they don't age. I mean, their genetics obviously plays a huge role, but like they're doing little things over time, but it's like, it's like your workout schedule. It's just in the calendar. It's in there. That way it's good for me too, because on a personal level, like I always say, I hate when patients come and asking for all these different things because a, you never want to wake up one morning, like just not looking like yourself and, and having that kind of like jarring feeling. 
but also too, if you have something in the schedule that you already set up, you're not going to be worried about like, oh, I saw somebody get this weird like, you know, thread or this or that. You already know what works for you. You already know you have a game plan and it's not overwhelming. It's not like, oh, what is this person? You're not going to wake up like, oh my, this is bothering me. This is, but you already know everything's coming up. It's in the schedule. You just kind of move as you're supposed to move and you kind of, all the rest of it kind of, you know, you look at it, you observe it, but you already have a game plan. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's your treatment regimen versus your skincare regimen. It's just as important. Exactly. That's the big thing I'm telling you. It makes the it makes all the difference. And again, I think people save a lot of money too when they don't start jumping at every single thing because I mean, everybody wakes up that one morning and you're like, I really don't look like myself. I need to do something, right? And that's when it gets dangerous. So you have to be really careful. All right, we're going to finish this combo off. I know this is a very generalized way of, of looking at it, but if... Anybody out there is listening and you think you have perioral dermatitis and you're going to go see your, you know, dermatologist, your medical professional, Dr. Bonhusali, what do you think that people should be doing to prep for <laughs> that particular meeting with their derm? So the best thing you can do is have a list of all the products you use and more specifically when you started using them. That just gives better context for trying to play because a lot of our work is detective work, right? We have to figure out what is potentially causing this, what issues occur. And also I tell people take before and afters, like take a picture. If you're noticing something, have a picture, right? A week later, take another picture and you can watch progression as well. And also, you know, de-escalation too. So you kind of know what's working, what doesn't. And what I mentioned, a two-week rule, like when you start a new product, take a baseline picture. Two weeks later, take another picture. That's the only way of objectively seeing because most times we forget what we used to look like, right? Like I always joke, my hair loss patients are not allowed to not come in for follow-ups because sometimes they'll be using these products, we'll get them on a regimen, we'll start growing their hair and they're like, I don't think it's doing anything because, you know, it's like watching paint dry. You can't really notice your hair growing. We look at the before and after pictures and our jaws drop, right? And it's like, you want to always kind of document. And I know people think that we don't want to see that as doctors. I promise you we do. It's a really easy way of us understanding the better context because, it's like some of our allergy patients, I can't follow them around all day long, 24-7 you know, to figure out what they're allergic to, right? So I need to go base more on their thoughts and memories and whatever lists they give me. And so the best way of perioral derm, think of it that way. Like you're having a reaction potentially to something. We have to figure out what it is. So let's get like a good timeline of everything you use when you start using it. And then more importantly, once we stop everything and we get you back to baseline, if it comes back, like what things were added in that potentially caused this, you know, re-triggering of the, of the issue. Hi, I'm Krupa Kesslein. I'm a consultant chemist formulator, and I help brands formulate beauty products. Okay, great. So Krupa, I am curious, like, what's your education in perioral dermatitis? Like, what do you know about perioral dermatitis from your point of view? So perioral dermatitis is fairly new condition that has not been studied very well. However, more and more people, because of everybody trying to use all these newer actives, like maybe it retinoids or be it AHAs, in the past few years, this has caused skin barriers to be disrupted. And because of this, there's a lot more occurrence of perioral dermatitis compared to what it was a few years ago. Okay, got it. And then in terms of how you formulate, like, are you being instructed to formulate to prevent perioral dermatitis? Because that's kind of a tall order for a brand to ask. So I'm curious, like, how does perioral dermatitis play into your everyday job? So 
Are clients asking actively for me to formulate to prevent perioral dermatitis? I would say no, not yet. I do see that as a big trend and, you know, some brands are listening. I think it's a big place to play. However, I'll also just add that because there haven't been any scientific studies that have been able to point to a single causation for PD, there's a lot of skepticism on what exactly causes PD. Yes, exactly. Because if you look online, which I always go to the experts first, but I also like to see what people are Googling and what comes up. If I had perioral dermatitis and I didn't have access to experts like yourself or to, for instance, Dr. Banhusali, who is a dermatologist, I would be Googling. And it's so confusing and so difficult to pinpoint because you know, when I mentioned that I had perioral dermatitis last week or a couple of weeks ago, I had people messaging me that were, you know, estheticians and stuff going, oh, by the way, that antibiotic is not going to work for you because it's a fungal infection, not a bacterial. And I was like, wait, what? And I trust my dermatologist with my life. But thankfully, the doxycycline that she put me on has been working wonders. And my PD is almost completely cleared up. So to your point online, it says it could be both. It's like, well, it could be bacterial, Mm -hmm. but it also could be fungal, but it also could be this. Like there's just so many different factors. So I feel like for you, if a brand did come to you and say, please formulate this so it won't exacerbate or create perioral dermatitis, you're like, cool. (laughs) Like, would you categorize PD as being in the sensitive skin category? I would say not necessarily sensitive skin category, but definitely in the skin barrier repair category. Okay. Kirby, I will say that like, even though you have started using, and I'm sure your dermatologist told you this already, but when you stop your antibiotic, there is a chance that you're going to get it back. Yes. Yes. And, you know, to add to your point, the causation is not established. There's all kinds of studies online that talk about, you know, chewing gum or, you know, using fluorinated toothpaste or the cause being hormonal. We really don't know why PD happens in the first place. But one thing is for sure that whatever you are doing to your skin leads to poor barrier function. And this is what causes you to have any issues with your skin. The first thing you want to make sure, especially when it is about a microorganism causing an issue, it is likely due to poor barrier function. Okay, great. That makes total sense to me, especially because one of the culprits that's mentioned online is like, if you use a lot of face creams or like try a lot of beauty products, which I was like, LOL, how does every single beauty editor not have perioral dermatitis? (laughs) Given the sheer amount of product we have to test each year, right? So In your expert opinion, if someone is experiencing PD, are there certain ingredients or certain types of products they should avoid for a certain amount of time? Yes. So definitely avoid retinoids, AHAs, methyl isothiazolinone-based preservatives. Okay. Okay. (laughs) You can call it MIT uh, for short, but preservatives that are known to cause issues with sensitive skin high strength actives. So going beyond the recommended amount of actives, you know, right now in the skin category, there's all kinds of percentages being thrown around as far as actives goes. So definitely avoiding that and also avoiding fragrances. 
Okay. Yeah. Fragrances was a big one, you know, go fragrance free. What ingredients do you like for like barrier restoring? Oatmeal is great for barrier restoring. There's also like very light and simple moisturizers, not overdoing it with the active ingredient kind of moisturizers. And I would say like fermented products that have microbiome restorative properties. Ooh, okay. Do you have any particular brands or like actual products that you would want to recommend? There are some really, really good innovations uh, with regards to microbiome restorative. Dr. Elsa Jungman has a whole line of those that are really, really good. There's also like very simple moisturizers you want to go with. So I would recommend like One Love Organics Coconut Moisture Cream. That is really good. And then avoiding cleansers too. So also one of the things to do is avoid using really harsh cleansers on your face so that you don't disrupt your microbiome. Got it. Do you have a favorite cleanser that you would recommend for that? (laughs) I currently am using an oil-based cleanser also from One Love Organics. Is there anything else that you want the listeners to know about PD, what they should maybe try, avoid, etc.? I would say that PD is very, very easy to get a wrong diagnosis on PD. So don't self-diagnose PD. Try to go to a dermatologist if something is going on with your skin so you know exactly what's going on. Like rosacea also sometimes appears like a PD. Even like some other conditions can appear like PD. So try not to self-diagnose. All right, that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts, I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Los Angeles was created by us, Kirby Johnson, and Sarah Tan. It's part of the ACAST network and licensed by Vice Media Group. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.